Hello and welcome to Kiss the Wild. I am your host, Kristen Wright. I am a holistic sex guide, a self-empowerment life coach, and here we are going to have some conversations to disrupt the status quo so that you can feel more like yourself and less like the version of you that you've been told you should be. Oh yeah, this is where we say goodbye to the good girl. This is where we stop acting, where we drop the masks, we stop playing small, and we let go of the expectations so we can live fully, unapologetically, and unbashedly ourselves. Our whole selves. Okay. Together, let's look at all the places we've been told not to go. Let's navigate shame, insecurity. Let's call out injustice, inequity. Let's unpack cultural conditioning and societal scripts. Let's finally love our bodies and let's have amazing sex and let's use pleasure to fuel our days. Are you ready? Then come on over to the wild side. Let's get started. Well, hello, hello, friends. Welcome to this episode. I am so grateful to be here with you today. It has been a bit tough for me the last month. Kids have been sick, and so I have had to really put a lot of my, like, desires to the back burner and one of those desires is showing up consistently with this podcast Uh, but as I've been tending to the sickies I just haven't been able to manage uh, my workload which is a little bit disappointing but such is life and I am just going to be grateful that I'm here today and hope and intend that I will be able to show up more so thank you for being here I wanted to pop in with this episode today because I'm actually getting an opportunity to have this talk in person. And so I felt like, why not share it with the world? You know, I have this information here. And so what I want to talk with you today about is cultivating sexual desire while also honoring your sacred no. So I'm going to talk to a mom group at a yoga studio. So it's mom and baby yoga Uh, group that I'm going to go chat with. So this is a conversation sort of aimed towards, you know, early motherhood vibes, but it really pertains to everybody. And some of the content I'm going to be sharing is about heteronormity. And um, heteronormativity is probably the more correct way to say that. Um, And yeah, I really want, this is something I haven't shared I don't think in the podcast yet, but I do identify as heterosexual and cisgendered. So that is, you know, the lens from which I see the world. It feels important to name that because although I try to be very inclusive with my content, it is sort of my default. So I'm always open to feedback. Um, If you want to give it to me, if I have those blind spots, if I'm Um, yeah, not bringing everyone to the table or not naming everyone at the table or not, you know, people don't feel like they don't have a seat at the table when they listen in. So definitely let me know. Um, yeah. And I do also like within that I'm heterosexual, I'm cisgender, gendered, and I do, you know, carry privilege as a white woman. So, um, yeah, I definitely have blind spots, right? So anyways, 
with this conversation, the point that I'm probably going to really drive home again and again is that if you feel like you have low sexual desire, you are not broken. So um, we don't need to make it mean anything about anything. You know, low sexual desire doesn't have to mean anything about your relationship or about your sex life. Um, if, you know, it can just simply be a stage of life that you are in and that is very healthy. I feel like the world wants to make low desire like this big thing. And if it's causing distress in your life to you personally or in your relationship, then sure, like that is something to take a look at. But if it's just a phase of life, let's honor that, right? Let's look at life from the seasonal lens uh, where we have spring, summer, winter, um, oh, there's fall in there too. <laughs> and that, you know, nature doesn't just like turn it up all year round, right? There's seasons for rest. There's seasons for going inwards. And it's the same for your sex life. So right off the bat, I just want to say that because I think it's really important um, to just rest in that knowing also, right? Rather than automatically assume that something is wrong if you're experiencing low desire. And hopefully, as you'll hear as I go on, that in fact, you know, there are many reasons why you may be experiencing low desire. It is a very layered conversation and um, something that's hard to put into like a 30 minute talk, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So there's four main talks, four main points, sorry, that I want to um, kind of drive home here. So I want to talk a little bit about the, um, I want to talk a little bit about, sorry, total <laughs> brain gap moment, but I want to talk about sexual response. I want to talk a little bit about the dual control model of sexual arousal. I want to talk a little bit about how the system we live in is like killing our sex drive um, and how to make sex something worth showing up for, right? I think that's a big important one. So yeah, um, sex really is not separate from the rest of our lives. Like I think that, you know, we tend to have, like sex can be such a taboo sort of conversation or experience that we like to like pretend that it's not a part of our lives but in fact it is um, a big part of our lives so uh, it's influ influenced by everything that is happening in our lives so our um, brain is our biggest like sex organ so everything that is happening in our lives is affecting or influencing our sex life and then sex kind of influences you know our lives too uh, because it is sort of a central, um, a central aspect of our relational lives, right? So sexual well-being is understanding the ways that other stuff in our lives can be interfering with our sex life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So um, there's one way to look at desire as spontaneous versus responsive. So this is where I want to dive in and talk a little bit about desire to help you have a better understanding about how sort of desire can work. So spontaneous desire is what we're often sold as the norm, right? In media, in porn, in Hollywood, it's the side like, you know, 
two people just sort of walking around horny all the time, hot for each other, and sex just happens. Like, it happens really easily. Everyone, ev- People are, like, turned up and ready to go. That's sort of what spontaneous desire looks like and feels like in the body. It's very, like, I'm ready to go right now. Maybe there's a little bit of a sexy stimuli or a motivating factor, and it's, like, pants off, dance off. And then there's responsive desire. And responsive desire takes in more into account the relational, social, cultural, and contextual aspects of desire. So um, you might have a motivation to have sex. So maybe it's because you're in relationship and then your partner maybe gives you like the sexy eyebrows and then there's maybe some touching and then there's maybe some canoodling or something, some kissing. Uh, And then you experience desire. So you can think about spontaneous desire as in like um, you're going to be horny so that you have sex. And you can think of responsive desire as like you're going to have sex to be horny. (laughs) It's kind of like the opposite. And I would say that there's more folks in the responsive desire bucket. And what can happen is that when we start off in relationship because we are in like all these like huge like love hormones and everything's like really fun and new and exciting, we will tend to like lean towards the spontaneous desire bucket. Um, You know, I, I think we can all sort of relate to that experience of sex being really easy in the beginning. And then, you know, as life goes on and we have, you know, maybe more relational stress, more social stress, cultural stress, like, you know, less sexy contexts, um, we kind of fall into our default, which is responsive desire. And that's when we can start to feel broken. We look outside of ourselves at the media, at porn, at Hollywood, feel like, oh God, it's so easy for them, but it's not so easy for me. Um, it was so easy in the beginning. Why isn't it now? Think something must be broken when really our default was responsive sexual desire all along. So there's your first like sign that you're not broken. Okay. Now, I want to talk about the dual control model of sexual arousal, um, which describes how our nervous system responds to sexual stimuli. So basically, our brain will respond to our environment by either turning up our turn-ons or turning down our turn-offs. So we all have what's known as like a sexual accelerator, which is the gas pedal um, that we can hit (laughs) to turn up our turn-ons. And then we have a sexual break, which is like obviously the breaks that turn us off. So every sensory modality that you see, hear, touch, taste, smell, or imagine can get coded as sexually relevant and send turn-on signals. And this is happening in a low level all the time, like in your surroundings. So your brain is constantly um, monitoring for sexual relevant information and it'll send you know messages to your body to either turn on or you're also at the same time your break is noticing all the reasons not to turn on so everything you see hear touch taste smell and imagine in your surroundings that your brain codes as a potential threat um you know it will turn your body off 
So the process of becoming sexually aroused is a dual process of turning on the ons and off the offs. So, I mean, like this looks like, you know, we might look around our surroundings. Maybe we like, maybe our partner's shirt's off, they're mowing the lawn and you're like, oh, dang, like sexy time, you know. But meanwhile, your child, you're feeding your child like their lunch in their high chair and they're screaming at you. Your brain is also like threat, you know. So it's, it's, um, it also is a way to keep us safe, like so that we're not just like, having sex in public in broad daylight, um, you know, with people walking around us. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, maybe in a perfect world, that would be okay. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) But but that's the process of the brain. So when people are struggling with arousal or desire or orgasm, sometimes it's not um, enough stimulation to the accelerator, but usually it's too much stimulation to the brakes. So, you know, our breaks can be things like our beliefs about sex. Um, They're obviously like things in our environment, but generally it's not like, oh, wow, we, um, we didn't introduce, like we didn't get those fuzzy handcuffs or it's not like about having toys or handcuffs or all these like fun things in the bedroom. It's usually things like um, body image um, or body shame, like relationship factors, sexual shame messages like sex is dirty, dangerous, or disgusting, um, that sex is only for people that we love, sex is a sin. Um, So even if we don't explicitly like believe those messages, they are generally there in the unconscious, like running these scripts in the background and making us feel like really um, ambivalent about our sex life. So, um, even though we might not, you know, even have the sense that we feel that way or feel like we even grew up in like more of a sexually liberated household, although I'm yet to meet someone who said that, um, those like messages are there. That's why it's really worth like taking a look at our actual beliefs about sex, um, and really unpacking that in a safe, you know, loving container or space. So that's kind of um, the dual control model of your sexual, sexual arousal. And it's, it's worth like noting what context, like when you think about sex, that was really, really good for you. What were the contexts there? You know, what were the environmental things? What was the things that you saw, the things that you felt, you know, touched, smelt, heard, tasted? You know, how did you feel about your body? How did you feel about your partner? What day of the week was it? Where were you in your cycle? All of those things can be really good information to know that um, can support you in choosing opportunities or to, you know, plan for sex or um, setting the container or the space for a really good sexual experience. You can also think of sex that was less great and think about all the things that were there, like the body image stuff. you know, and again, like thinking about environmental factors or how you felt, how was your connection with your partner? What happened earlier that day? Um, you know, how was the quality of the sex you had and everything like that. And, um, it's good to look at that stuff, make some lists and then use those contexts. You know, how can we shut 
off the offs in a way like how can we mitigate that's a better way to say it how can we mitigate the turnoffs well turning up the dial on the turn-ons so yeah with all of that like sexual stress can be or not sexual stress sorry stress in general so managing stress taking care of your nervous system is so huge um, in terms of like context and um, sexual arousal because if you are feeling really stressed it's just going to be like having the handbrake on all the time so uh, finding ways to mitigate and manage stress, taking care of yourself, your body, your nervous system is really, really important if you're struggling with low desire and it's something that you want to work on. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things like if you're in the early uh, phases of motherhood, I can think of some, you know, sexual accelerators and sexual especially sexual inhibitors in early motherhood like hormones lack of sleep being touched out a dysregulated nerve dysregulated nervous system you know baby sleeping in your room or in the room next door you know changing body or feeling at odds with the body after pregnancy breastfeeding not being able to get a shower and maybe not even be able to get your teeth brushed um, and then accelerators might be like you know, having a day where you get a bit of in independence, having a good sleep, great communication with your partner, help around the house, help with your kids, kids in care, kids being watched, a night out on the town with your partner, clean sheets, freshly showered, feeling good in your body, you know, maybe getting dressed up. Those might all be like really good context to help build arousal and desire. Okay, now moving on to our next Peace. So I want to talk about heteronormativity theory of low desire. So the UBC Sexual Health Lab has done studies to confirm that women in queer relationships experience, experience sorry, less of a gap in like the low desire than uh, women who are in heterosexual relationships. So it goes to say that women in heterosexual relationships are experiencing less desire than women in um, queer relationships. There we go. That's a better way to say it. Sorry, I'm all twisted up. I, I'm on day 26 of my cycle. It's not the best day to be speaking the words from your mouth and making sense. I should be like retreating into the cave, the red tent. Anyways, how is heteronormativity killing desire. So this is a paper that I read. It's called the heteronormativity theory of low sexual desire in women partnered with men. Um, Sari M. Van Anders, Debbie Hebernick, and Sarah B. Chadwick have written this paper. And basically it's, they have four pieces um, that they share in the paper that affect desire in heterosexual relationships. It's um, the like roles that we play. And then there is the unsolicited sort of groping and objectification of women. And then um, kind of the gender norms around sexual initiation. So men tend to, in the household, have roles that they take on that are not time sensitive, whereas women have jobs that 
um, are what they call low schedule control. So we can't really put them off. They're things like making supper, maybe it's picking up the kids, taking kids to appointments, um, doing laundry, those types of things. And so um, Eve Rodsky has a really great book called Fair Play. She's a really wonderful person to sort of binge podcasts on. And she talks about how culturally we view men's time as finite like diamonds and we view women's time as infinite like sand and that you know she really names and calls out the invisible sort of emotional load of motherhood and those are all the tasks and duties that women do in the background that is free labor that is not necessarily quantifiable but really eats up the time pie of life you know like really eats up the hours in a day and so women will often like take on more and more it's like we'll find time for that but really we have 24 hours in a day like our time is also finite and we need to start viewing it as finite and also really look at this invisible load and how we can have an equal distribution of um you know the household responsibilities whereas right now women are taking on more way more of the load of parenting and also the load of household responsibilities and that is sort of just a cultural norm at this point so we view women in women's time as like an infinite resource to be extracted from. So if you get to the end of the day and you want to sleep and the last thing you want to do is have sex, it makes sense, right? Because, you know, the stress and the lack of space and time has obviously really impacted your ability to feel like you can give anything else a day away. Sorry, not a day, but also true but <laughs> give anything else away right so we're really existing in a really broken system that is very desire inhibiting but also expects women to have these high levels of desire um, so I would strongly advocate to look into Eve Rodsky's book Fair Play I'll add it to the show notes um, because she also has sort of a card game I think I've never played it um, in my own relationship, but it feels like it would be a way to open up the dialogue and conversation with a partner if you feel like you are experiencing an unequal division of labor. So just really naming that as like a desire sucker. Um, and then, you know, a lot of women also have to be partners, mothers. So also, you know, not only caring for their children, they are making appointments for their partners, making sure they get to appointments, doing all that emotional labor, which are also like a, a mother, like a caretaker role to your partner is like a very um, desire inhibiting archetype, right? Like meaning it takes that archetype of being that identity will take you farther from feeling like a lustrous, desirable woman. So a lot of the roles and identities that we take on in heteronormative relationships that we have like um, inherited culturally, like the good wife, the dutiful wife, the devoted mother, the domestic executive are all in direct conflict with cultivating desires in our lives, you know? When you think of that, when you think of like a caretaker archetype, the martyr archetype, the good wife, what does that feel like in your body, right? To me, it like feels like a little bit soul sucking. So <laughs> it's important. And then it, it's the crazy thing is like the, the desire, um, like 
uh, what would it enhancing archetypes the desire sort of enhancing archetypes like um the free spirit or the maiden or the slut even um you know they those sorts of archetypes in in society can also be um very shadowy and dark and repressive right like we're kind of made to feel shameful we can't be a mother and like a wildly sexual like slutty um promiscuous woman so it's a very big split that we have to overcome in ourselves but i really encourage you to feel into you know when you are having like the best sex of your life when you're feeling like a turned on like vibrant woman what's there and what archetype is there for you what archetypes um, really help you to feel like a sexy alive person and so if you were to embody that archetype how would you dress how would you talk what would you ask for what do you need like what choices would you make in your life what people would you support would support you to be that person right um, that's a really good place to sort of start with that and to and just to take like small daily actions like embodying that um part of yourself in order to build more desire in order to make more choices in your life in alignment with like an alive radiant um, sense of self so i won't go too much more into this heteronormativity um, theory of low desire like i will speak to the objectification of women and how that can um, really mess up desire like um you know, there's, it's good to have place, playfulness in relationship, but if you feel like you're, you know, being groped a bit by your partner, even if it feels like it's playful or joyful, you can still ask yourself, you know, is this a great time for me? Is it impacting how I feel? Um, because remembering that this could be a season of life and you could be feeling touched out and that touch could feel like really grating and the opposite of building desire. So speaking, you know, what's true for you out loud um, without, you know, necessarily right. Like there are ways to share that information um, in the moment. I actually like how Eve Rodsky says says it like it's like when emotion is low and cognition is high so instead of like in like a really heated moment sharing that like waiting like till after the fact kind of thing to share those that kind of information but yeah just really honoring your needs and you know objectification of women can also look like how we feel like we need to behave look or act how in this world and that can really impact how we feel in a sexual context so I want to move into how we can make sex feel like it's something to show up for, right? Because that's the juicy part of the conversation that feels really important. Um, and if you've listened to any of the other episodes that I've shared on this podcast, I kind of have shared already a little bit here about, um, you know, making sex something to show up for, but I'm going to, you know, just keep talking about it until I'm blue in the face. So let's do it. So I, like as I've already shared, making a date can be very important, especially if you're somebody who has responsive desire, right? So we want to think about those sexy contexts when choosing a time to, to, um, to choosing our date for intimacy. So we can think about how we can turn off those offs and turn on those ons and really create a really beautiful environment for our sexual date. Um, 
like often the creation of intimacy can lead to the right circumstances for sexual desire to blossom, right? So we're not necessarily making a date and wanting to show up with all the desire in the world, but we're making a date, we're making a commitment because maybe it feels important to us to have that sexual intimacy. And from there, we're letting desire blossom. That is basically um, the whole like, is the right word antithesis of responsive desire in a nutshell. So you want to show up without any commitment to having penetrative sex. I think that's really important, especially again, if you're in those early stages of motherhood, you've just had a baby and you're maybe feeling a little bit uncertain, taking penetration right off the table can be a huge way to just show up without like this fear of what could happen um, and just stay really curious, right? Like a lot of, or like just a really important uh, ingredients to to sex great sex is just that open curiosity you know showing up without expectations showing up with a playful attitude showing up with a lot of compassion because judgment is the quickest way to shut our you know to hit the brakes and turn shit off so showing up with compassion being open um being open to whatever is going to arise is so great when we make these sexual dates So I think it's important um, if you're someone who is parenting and you're similar to me, I'm a highly sensitive person, I easily get a very dysregulated nervous system in motherhood. And so what I need to do is to take time beforehand to switch gears and do some nervous system regulation. So maybe that shaking, you know, like putting a song on and sort of shaking my body around or even just dancing. It might be like having a bath. It might be um, going out and outside of my backyard and just taking a couple really nice deep breaths in nature, maybe even laying back on the, on the grass, or maybe just walking around the block, um, could just be listening to a podcast, going for a run, all ways to sort of switch gears and to calm the nervous system. And then once I meet with my partner, and this is for you, once you meet with your partner, really take that time to ask for what you want or need. And this can feel really tricky if you're not someone who is used to that or you don't even know what you want or need. So taking time to really, you know, understand your body, understand where you're at, um, just in general, like being very mindful, checking in with yourself during the day, just noticing what's alive for you, taking a moment to scan your body, noticing what's happening inside. Like, do I actually feel quite tense in this moment? Maybe I feel contracted in my chest. Ooh, I could take a deep breath. That feels better. Um, Or, you know, maybe I feel like alive and bubbly and feeling really good. My heart feels really open. So coming into the bedroom or whatever space that you have chosen to meet up with your partner for intimacy and just checking in with yourself, like maybe I just need to lie back to take some deep breaths, to start really slow. Maybe it would feel good for my partner to caress my body. Maybe I feel like what would feel good for me is to caress my partner's body. Um, Or maybe I want to put some music on. Maybe I want some really hot, like um, passionate, like kissing ahead of time. So really asking what you want or need, what feels alive for you. And then putting pleasure at the forefront and center of the experience. So really pleasure is the measure of your sexual well-being. Um, And we have grown up in a world where 
sex ed is kind of taught as like this thing that you know it's taught from a lens of like how what not to do to get pregnant there's very little thought about pleasure having a conversation about how to make sex really good so often you know both we come to this experience of sex and our sexual education has been porn which isn't rooted in any kind of like real life you know um and so we want to put pleasure and center our own pleasure and just let the desire emerge in response to the pleasure so I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it because desire can, you can have desire for sex and it doesn't mean that it's going to end in pleasure, right? Like you could have desire for sex and your partner can say no and that can feel really painful. You can have a desire in a lot of life situations um, and it doesn't mean that it's going to end in a pleasurable experience. So actually centering pleasure and then letting, you know, whatever else is going to show up, show up is I think the way to go rather than centering desire, for example. So um, it really matters that you like the sex that you're having, right? You want to know your body, know your turn-ons, ask for what you want and need, like I already said. And I think an important uh, um, ingredient in that is a conversation around the clitoris because um, studies have shown that, what is it? I think it's like 80 to 95% of you know vulva bodied folks need clitoral stimulation you know alongside vaginal penetration in order to have an orgasm it's a very small percentage of of folks that have reported you know having orgasms from vaginal penetration alone and yet again what we are showing in media and porn in hollywood is something totally different you know, and so bringing the clitoris into your sexual experience without any shame, you know, I think there's this like idea that um, there's a hierarchy of orgasm or that, you know, that we shouldn't have to be like stimulating our clitoris while having sex. But if we're centering our pleasure, I feel like the clitoris really needs to be a part of that conversation. Um, and so, you know, from my own experience, sometimes I like to bring a vibrator into my sexual experience. And there's positions that I really enjoy um, experiencing vaginal penetration while also incorporating a vibrator for my clitoris. It's like the pleasure that is there is just nutty it's so great right um and yet like we can be missing out on all of that by um this fear or the shame or this fear of judgment or feeling not good enough by needing maybe clitoral stimulation so i 100 percent encourage you to explore clitoral stim stimulation while having sex but within that um, penetrative sex i would also encourage you to you know Drop the goal of orgasm with sex. And again, just like focus on the pleasure along the way. And that also sex doesn't have to end in orgasm. So I think sometimes we can start to lose desire for sex when we are engaging in sex where it's very goal oriented, very orgasm oriented, where it's like we start and then where there's this race to the finish line that can get really boring after a while. And it's like, well, no wonder we don't want to show up for that. I think it's another way that heteronormativity is killing sex. So we really want to drop that performance aspect of that you know, we need to look and be a certain way in the bedroom and sex needs to look like this thing that, um, you know, m 
mimics porn or what we've seen in Hollywood. Instead, just get like back to that original um, piece about what I was sharing about, about being curious, exploring, being open, um, and just seeing where the experience takes you. So that is like, in a greater nutshell, how we can make sex something that we really want to, you know, show up for. And, um, you know, I guess another part of that would be communication. And so communicating with your partner um, before or like, like I said, like sharing what you want or need, that's communication before. And then you can also take a moment to share afterwards, you know, what really was your favorite parts about the experience and what was maybe your less and, and asking your partner those things and just like getting to know each other better through that. So yeah, I really hope that by hearing this all, you have this experience now of like, wow, I'm not broken. I'm actually like, if you're experiencing low desire in your um, sex life, it's like, I, I hope you can have a lot more compassion for yourself, right? Like serious compassion, because you can see that there are so many things that we are up against. Like we really exist in a system that is desire inhibiting, um, while also like putting all this pressure in miscommunication about how our desire should look um, or that we should be like these wild desirous beings but then it's like oh but don't be too desirous because fuck like that's shameful like you don't want to be a slut right so it's like what can we do here (laughs) you know it's so have some compassion for yourself and um i think like we focus often on the quantity of sex we are having when we should be focusing on the quality. So instead of asking yourself the question like, am I having enough sex? Ask yourself, am I enjoying the sex I'm having? And if the answer is no, how can you start enjoying the sex you're having? Because there is sort of a circular model of response that starts with like motivation, Um, which is like what I sort of talked about earlier, where we have maybe motivation to have sex. So we're in a relationship and it feels important to us that we might have some sexual stimuli. It's like, okay, like there's um, contexts out there that are giving me messages to turn on. So we might start to experience like um, some sexual arousal type feelings. So maybe that looks like, you know, we have the motivation, our partner gives us the sexy eyebrows, we think like, okay, there's enough turn-ons in this experience, I'm going to go for it, you know, there's enough in my environment that's making me feel okay to say yes, the sexual arousal looks like maybe some touching, some caressing, some kissing, clothes are coming off, then desire happens, and then sexual satisfaction happens, which creates the motivation for more sex. So you can see how um, all of these different things fit into that model. Like when we have like great sex, it begets the desire for more sex. When we create more contexts in our lives that are like, you know, conducive to turning us on, then we are more likely to say yes to sexual arousal and more likely to experience that desire. So these are all, um, you know, really important pieces of the pie. And um, yeah, it's just, I just want to say that it's also just okay to honor um, low sex drive as a season of life. So it's important to frame 
low desire is something that is um, not a problem if it's not causing distress, right? It's common for ebbs and flows in one sexual relationship. And so we can just really appreciate that our sexual desire is maybe like the, the correct response to what is happening in our life and really honoring and loving ourselves with lots of compassion through that. So there you have it. Cultivating desire while honoring your sacred no. Go forth, have fun, center your pleasure. You're doing great. And I will talk to you next time. If you have enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, leave me a five-star rating or review. If not, that's cool. You can also go check me out on Instagram at therightkristin or check out my website, therightkristin.com. You can find information about the one-on-one coaching I do or grab any of the freebies that I have like Reignite Desire in the Bedroom or How to Turn Yourself On. Please go check it out and take care. Stay wild, my friend.